It's Tuesday, September 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. While the economy has suffered greatly because of the coronavirus and millions are claiming unemployment benefits, there are still some that are getting hired for new jobs. With that, there are new rules for landing a job during the pandemic. You still have to network as many jobs are found through referrals. You also need to be flexible and be realistic about location. There are many companies with work from home policies right now, but that is constantly changing. You must also be prepared for a completely virtual interview process. Catherine Dill, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to get a job in the COVID era. Next, we'll tell you what enabled the CBD craze to take root in America. Right now, CBD can be found in products all over, boasting some kind of health benefits from pain management to treating anxiety and inflammation. But in 2011, a ragtag group of doctors, activists, and writers met on a marijuana farm to think of a way to market it. CBD was featured on Discovery Channel's Weed Wars and the subject of a CNN special touting its benefits in treating epilepsy. Senator Mitch McConnell, of all people, even had a hand in making hemp and CBD legal. Amanda Chicago-Lewis, contributor to the New York Times, joins us for how the CBD craze got started. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Beyond that, they need to be prepared for things like an entirely virtual interview and potentially onboarding process, getting ready to really slice and dice which parts of an industry they should be focusing their search on. It's a tough time for job seekers, but there are some reasons to be optimistic. Joining us now is Catherine Dill, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Since the pandemic hit the U.S., there's been millions and millions of jobs lost. The economy is not doing too well in that regard. There's just as many people on unemployment, receiving unemployment benefits. But there are some industries, there are people that are still hiring. And Catherine, you wrote an article about the new rules for landing a job in the COVID era. So I want to take a look at some of that. Catherine, what do we know about some new rules on how to do this? Well, we know that we're looking at a time where the playbook that job seekers look at has sort of been thrown out the window. You know, we're seeing in some ways a need to dig way into the things that we always tell job seekers. You know, networking is really important, articulating your goals. All of that has become paramount. But then beyond that, they need to be prepared for things like an entirely virtual interview and potentially onboarding process getting ready to really slice and dice which parts of an industry they should be focusing their search on. It's a tough time for job seekers, but there are some reasons to be optimistic. Let's start picking these apart a little bit. Networking. Obviously, everybody knows you should always kind of be networking, but it's more important than ever. You were talking to some people at LinkedIn and they said that more people are finding jobs through referrals now more than ever. Applicants on their platform are three times as likely to get a job at a company where they have a connection. And, you know, we see this all the time. People hire people, but especially in a downturn, that really becomes the name of the game. And so for a lot of people, that means rethinking your network. It means getting back in touch with people you maybe worked with two jobs ago and catching up with them. For younger people or for entry-level workers, it might mean, you know, thinking about who have you done volunteer work with? Who have you taken classes with? You really have to look broadly across your network at who you might want to reconnect with and consider that, you know, they might not be able to hire you, but getting back in touch with them and catching up might lead them, you know, it might trigger they know somebody who they've heard is looking for someone with your skill set. And so really taking a new eye to your network is going to be essential. 
And an important note, I think, that you put in your article, when you are reconnecting with somebody, say, you know, just kind of putting the feelers out there, try not to be frustrated and cranky and impatient with those people. Like you said, they might not be able to hire you, but they can lead you somewhere. And, and if you just lost a job and you're frustrated, take a step back so that you don't come across negative. Definitely. Definitely. You know, it's totally understandable. I mean, nobody wants to be the person reminding somebody who's just been laid off from their job. Please be patient, be calm. You know, like your bills and your rent aren't usually being patient with you. So it's totally understandable to feel this way. But you do want to think about the impression that you're giving. And often that's just as simple as taking time to reread your messages, take a step back, take a 10 minute break, come back and look at your message again. Just make sure that you're, you know, you're presenting the best version of yourself that you would want somebody to to come across. And also there's, you know, everyone we spoke with noted an uptick in empathy right now among people hiring, among people networking, you know, everybody understands what's going on and they, and they want to help. The next one right here, be flexible and realistic about location. There's been a ton of increases in jobs that you can do remotely. Um, they're not always 100% remote jobs. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's a percentage that you might start remotely. And then as this, as things get better with the pandemic, you'll go back to work. Uh, but that's important to take into account because, you know, you can't live a hundred miles away from your job if you're eventually going to have to go back. Right. The key here is just to be really, really clear. We are seeing companies who are hiring showing really increased flexibility around this. You know, they need talent now and that talent might, they know that that talent might need to move to where, you know, a family member can provide childcare or where a partner is going to have an easier time finding work. Like we are seeing some more flexibility from companies, but you are going to want to be really upfront. You know, just because you're hundred percent remote right now and for the foreseeable future, you still need a guarantee that that job is hundred percent remote and that they won't expect you to be in Santa Fe on a given day when you move to Maine. This next one might be the most important thing to be prepared for a 100% virtual interview process. You know, you can't step foot in the door until you've gone through this step. And, you know, you have to do a lot of things to be prepared to stand out, maybe do a test call to make sure you look the best you possibly can. Definitely. You know, make sure your tech is working. Certainly, you know, prep this maybe with a friend the day before your interview. You know, we recommend dress as you would dress to go to an in-person interview. You know, now is not the time just because you're in your living room, maybe to wear a sweatshirt to the interview. But then also you need to be cognizant of things like you have to bring a higher level of energy to a Zoom interview than you would if you were in the room with somebody and picking up on lots of subtle cues. And we also had somebody who actually was laid off and landed a job again earlier this summer mentioned that he had gone through his resume and figured out he had teed up some anecdotes like that illustrated experiences he had had so that he wasn't just on this video interview, like going through the bullets of his resume. He had a way of really bringing his experiences to life for the people on the other end. You got to stand out more than ever on these. And the last question for this is, you know, you have to zero in on who is hiring. Obviously, there's all sorts of industries are up and down right now. But where are people hiring the most? We are seeing that healthcare, retail, and food service are the ones that had the most job openings in the U.S. at the beginning of August. Finance, insurance, construction, real estate, business services, not as much. But an important thing to really think about is that there's a great deal of variation of performance even within an industry. So in tech, for example, which is doing better than a lot of other industries, if you are a company that's a startup focused on business travel, you're probably having a really tough time right now. 
But if you're a company that's focused on e-commerce, delivery, a lot of those services, you're probably really hiring a lot and struggling to even meet capacity. So there's a lot of variation even within industries. And some experts recommend that it's actually just better to make yourself a list of companies that are doing really well and focus on them. Catherine Dill, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Even though CBD is often written on the label of products or a restaurant or a juice bar or a coffee place might say we can give you a little bit of CBD in whatever you ordered, a lot of that is not actually CBD. Joining us now is Amanda Chicago-Lewis, contributor to the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Great to be here. We wanted to talk about uh, one of the hidden origin stories of the CBD craze. You know, CBD is everywhere in everything right now. It's kind of this magical elixir that people talk about. You know, it's uh, good for pain, good for anxiety, good for pretty much everything. And uh, I love the way you put it in the article. The CBD compound's reputation right now is a microcosm of what it means to be in America. Uh, You know, something uh, that a lot of people consider a hoax and that others praise as the solution to everything. And it's totally true because people are, you know, all over on the spectrum when it comes to CBD. In a lot of ways, it kind of got its start, at least the craze of this, got its start in 2011 with a group of people ready to just start telling everyone about all the benefits. Yeah, um, you know, it's a chemical compound that's found in the cannabis plant. So it's been around forever. You know, scientists first isolated it in about 1940. We had a good idea of what maybe it could do by the 1970s. But you know, cannabis is still federally illegal. And so it was really hard to do research. It was really hard to even test the cannabis around the United States and find out what compounds were in it. And so it remains this really big mystery for a long time. It's funny to hear also that you mentioned CBD is in everything because another aspect of the article is trying to alert people to the fact that even though CBD is often written on the label of products, or a restaurant or a juice bar or a coffee place might say we can give you a little bit of CBD in whatever you ordered, a lot of that is not actually CBD. Um, A lot of that is basically just nothing um, or is significantly less CBD than what's written on the label. And the reason for that really has to do with this hypocrisy from the federal government on cannabis, really bad oversight on the industry. And yeah, I mean, like, FDA testing and really good testing has shown that the -the over-the-counter CBD products very rarely have actual CBD in it, which makes a lot of people think that the whole thing is a scam or a placebo. Right, exactly. That puts us exactly where we are with the thinking of this. There's been so little real research into it because of the laws that, uh, you know, we can't come to a determination about what it really does. Same thing with THC. A lot of research that shows there's a lot of promise there, but because of the laws, we can't uh, do fully federally funded researches, uh, things like that, that would really help us kind of make a final determination, let's say. So uh, take us back to 2011 and tell us how, you know, this group of people that were researching it and looking into it were ready to start telling people about it. It's really hard with something like this to pinpoint a specific origin moment. 2011, in the story, I summarize a summit of 10 to 12 crucial figures in spreading CBD around the world and around the country. 
who happen to all be in one room at one time having the conversation of how do we get people um, interested in CBD? How do we get more farmers growing strains that have CBD? How do we get pot shops to sell CBD products? Um, and how do we like understand better what this compound can do without going through the formal research channels of the government because the government keeps sort of turning that down. Um, so, you know, this was a ragtag crew. And I think maybe the most interesting person and the most influential person who was there was this guy, Fred Gardner, who is a writer who was really involved in the anti-war activism of the 1960s and 70s. He went to Harvard, really brilliant guy, lives in Oakland and was sort of self-publishing a newspaper about the medical marijuana movement. He was one of the people who was around the medical marijuana movement in California, but also going to these scientific symposiums, these like research meetups, mostly in Europe, um, that were happening around pharmaceutical companies and um, academic folks who were, you know, looking into cannabis on the molecular side. And so, you know, there's this very small group of people that, we're going from between these two worlds, the sort of deep science world and then really the activism, you know, verging on criminality world of, you know, cannabis in California. Um, and Fred Gardner was this, you know, very influential figure who was going between those worlds in the 90s and in the aughts and, you know, really pushed very hard to be able to track down plants um, that had CBD and then really wanted people to to try it and wanted it to spread in order to, you know, change people's understanding of what the cannabis plant was capable of um, in order to get good medicine to people who needed it. Um, he had really uh, altruistic intentions. Um, and, you know, he, he, he did in a certain way inspire me to write this story because, you know, what, what actually ended up happening in terms of this weird, um, you know, profiteering-oriented uh, industry where nothing is well regulated and there's fake CBD for sale everywhere and people really think it's a scam. Um, and it, it didn't turn out exactly the way he wanted it to or the other activists wanted it to. But whatever uh, plan or course of action that they were uh, initially trying to accomplish, getting people to know more about CBD, I mean, they did succeed in that front because here we are. And, and you know, it really is a craze. The CBD industry is estimated to be worth $16 billion by 2025, and uh, sales have grown you know, during the pandemic as people have been at home and you know, needed uh, things to cope with all of this. Uh, tell us about the plant and, and getting the right um, uh, ratio, I guess, of CBD to THC, because some of the studies have shown that CBD is the most effective when it's paired with at least some THC, and, and you had mentioned how you know, a lot of the stuff that people get out there has very little to none, uh, very little to no CBD in the actual products that they're selling. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, there's so many different um, layers of what you're talking about here. I think, you know, there's over-the-counter CBD products are basically the things that you can't trust. You don't know what's actually in it. There's no oversight. If you're buying something that has some THC in it, it means you're probably at a state-licensed marijuana dispensary, um, which has much higher standards than the stuff that you're going to find, you know, at a bodega or at a health food store or online in terms of what CBD um, is actually in the product. 
And so, you know, at most marijuana dispensaries, you can find a big variety of ratios in terms of CBD and THC. Um, do we have excellent research on which ratios work best for which diseases in human beings? We don't. We don't have great research around that yet because, again, the research in humans is really hard to do. Um, but what we do have is we have, just as an example, some research from this pharmaceutical company in the UK called GW Pharmaceuticals. Um, they have a drug called Sativex, which is one-to-one CBD to THC. Um, and on the research, in the research they did in human beings in the late 90s and the early aughts, um, you know, they found that some people responded well to CBD by itself, but most people got the most benefit from an equal mix of CBD and THC. And that's why um, they created Sativex. It's been approved in over 30 countries. It hasn't been approved in the United States. Um, what the United States has approved is a cannabis drug that is 98% CBD. So, you know, there's some conspiracy theories around this. It's hard to really pinpoint exactly what happened, but it does really seem like the federal government you know, refused to approve a drug that involved any THC at all. So let's move on to how people in the mainstream really started noticing it a little bit more. In uh, Back in 2011, it was on an episode of Discovery Channel's Weed Wars where a child with epilepsy was using it. Uh, same thing kind of on CNN. Dr. Sanjay Gupta profiled a girl in Colorado who was using CBD to treat epilepsy. And then even uh, uh, like the most curious of all people, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell helped fast track the uh, cultivation of this in uh, some of the farm bills that were going around in 2014 and 2018, basically, basically legalizing hemp and in kind of included in that people started uh, making a more, uh, at least growing more plants with CBD in it. Yeah, no, I think Mitch McConnell's role is something that um, most people haven't heard of, but I find very interesting. Essentially, as more people were becoming aware of CBD and um, CBD cannabis was starting to spread around the country, like once you could buy seeds and you could buy clone, like small plants that you could grow, you know, it becomes available to more people. And the tobacco farmers in Kentucky, you know, tobacco is not doing very well as, as an industry, has been on the decline for a long time. They were looking for a new crop. Um, and actually, before people knew about CBD, those tobacco farmers were saying, well, what about industrial hemp? Um, not for pharmaceutical reasons, not for CBD, but originally they just wanted industrial hemp for you know, textiles or insulation or things like that. Um, and so they pushed for industrial hemp right around the moment that CBD became a thing. And uh, Mitch McConnell, you know, is beholden to the folks who elect him in Kentucky. And um, he said, all right, well, if these people want hemp, let's give them hemp. And so he, you know, created this pilot program in 2014 um, that was supposed to be for research, but uh, in reality, we just enabled CBD um, production. Um, and uh, in 2018, at the very end of the year, passed a farm bill that um, fully legalized hemp. You know, it really all comes back to this totally nonsense, illogical uh, designation on the federal level that cannabis and THC in particular has no accepted medical use, um, which just is not reality. Amanda Chicago-Lewis, contributor to the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, happy to talk to you guys. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.